you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'm reading from the book of James. We begin our journey into James, the last part of the Old Testament, just past Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, James, uh, the letter of James has been uh, put into about a hundred verses, five chapters, and offers some great insight into living. And so uh, we begin our journey this morning with the first chapter of James and the first 12 verses. Follow along if you have your Bibles open. If not, uh, listen carefully. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish his work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Verse 9, the brother in humble circumstance ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossoms fail and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away while even he goes about his business. And then verse 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Our Father, we do pray this morning and ask your blessing upon uh, the Scripture reading and all that will follow. We're thankful you give us insight into to how we should live. And Lord, may we, may we glean from uh, this service today those things that will help us as uh, you guide us through life. We ask these things in your name. Amen. I was not a father very long before I, I learned to realize the fear of, or the fear that a, a certain phrase came uh, brought to my mind when I saw it. Let me say that again. That sounds pretty governmentally uh, said, not very clearly. It wasn't long in fatherhood before I recognized a phrase that brought fear to my mind. It was the little phrase, some assembly required. And uh, I tried the uh, first few Christmases to attend to those things on Christmas Eve and, and would stay up half the night. And I, I'm not very good at following the instruction manuals given, the how to do things. I'm glad that most uh, things that are unassembled come today with a how to do it uh, a manual or set of instructions. I, I've, uh, uh, I'm the kind that often tries to uh, put it together without the instructions. I know what a bicycle looks like. I shouldn't have to figure out uh, which piece goes first, and I just kind of do it. I'll tell you, I've put together a number of things a number of times because of not following the directions. I put stuff together backwards before. I figured out that sometimes uh, that uh, uh, it doesn't seem to fit just right and needs the help of a hammer, and I've torn a lot of things up by not following the directions and had to go back and get another one and just kind of made a mess of things. I've learned the value, though, of following the instructions when, you're, when assembling uh, those things that some assembly may be required. I, I, uh, my, my youngest daughter once bought a bed frame from a store called Ikea, a bed frame. Some of you have bought that from a headboard, a footboard, and two side rails, and you open the boxes, and there's about 200 pieces that come along with that. And 
I still uh, don't uh, do well following those uh, store-bought directions, but nonetheless, I appreciate them. Well, James is the book that in the, in the New Testament that gives us a little bit of the how-to-do-it uh, concept in, 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 in our endeavor to live for God. James is one of the most practical books of the uh, Bible, and certainly of the New Testament. It is not a theological book, but it is a book of practice based on theology. And I think we will find some great insight as we study this for the next few weeks. James was the half-brother of Jesus, most commonly thought. There were a number of Jameses that played a role in Bible times, but generally conceded that this is the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus. And this James became the leader of the Christian church in Jerusalem. All of this correlates back to the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, preached a dynamic message that, that caused 3,000 of these Jewish hearers to want to join up with this group. And the church was born, and uh, starting with the membership of 3,000, and they, they had uh, all things common, and they daily met for prayer and for, for worship and for testimony, and they continued to grow and do amazing things. And a church was formed in this setting, and James, the brother of Jesus, becomes the leader of the mother church of Christianity. James is written, the book of James is written in, in, in a year somewhere around 40 to 50 after, years after the death of Christ. So that means James is a first-generation Christian. And James seems to be writing from the perspective to uh, the second generation of Christian followers that would come along, not only his peers, but, but it seems to be that James said, we've learned a few things in our walk with Christ these years, and I want to pass that on to those coming behind me so that you may not be discouraged, so that you may not be defeated, so that you might stay true in your walk with God. It is a book of practical things of how to live properly in the midst of, of the stuff of life. And so it makes James... Uh, pretty significant for all of us. I'm impressed that James starts uh, in verse 1 as he does. Remember, now this uh, book or this letter was written in the form of a scroll, and so it was very commonplace to have the very first line say, who's writing it? We don't do that in our world today. We, we wait till the end of our writings to identify who we are, but had they done that in this case, they would have had to unroll the whole scroll to find out who was writing. So he begins in a typical way by saying, this is James. But I'm amazed that he says simply this, a servant of God, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus. I'm impressed that James doesn't try to give his, his, uh, uh, his uh, uh, set of, uh, of accomplishments as in identifying himself. I'm amazed that James doesn't say, I'm, the, I'm James, I'm the brother of Jesus. You know, the folks uh, who saw Jesus and heard Jesus speak in that first generation church were given significant place. And here's James who said, I not only saw him, I not only heard him speak, I lived with him, I grew up with him. James, the brother of Jesus, but he doesn't say that. And he doesn't say, I'm James, the leader of the church, the very first church, the mother church, the church in Jerusalem. I, I'm the guy, I'm the head guy. James doesn't say any of that. Very humbly says, I'm James, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. A servant in that time would have great meaning, uh, far more than it does for us today, but a servant would be one who, who does not do things on his own, but does, does things as his master encourages him to. A servant doesn't think on his own. A servant thinks like the master should think, in, 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 if, if we can say it that way. A servant loses his life in his master, and James is saying that 
I'm not impressed with the fact that I was the half-brother of Jesus or that I lead the, 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 the Jewish church, Christian church in Jerusalem. I am James, nothing more than a servant of the living God. And then James says in verse 2 that I'm writing this to the 12 tribes of Israel that have been scattered among the nations, the 12 tribes, a very Jewish statement. The 12 tribes scattered among the nations, and we know that they were scattered because of persecution. For if you go back to the book of Acts, in the beginning chapters of the book of Acts, when the, when the early church, as we like to call it, faced a great growth and many positive and wonderful things, persecution soon broke out. And it started with a guy named Stephen, who went to church one day. And when they took times to testify, Stephen stood up to take his turn. And when he began to talk about Jesus and all Jesus had done for him and all they've done to Jesus and, 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 a, and an amazing story, there was such anger in the Jewish synagogue that day that they, uh, they took Stephen, they bound him while in the church, they took him outside the door to the temple to the edge of the city, threw him down a little cliff and took rocks and threw them at him until James died. He remember, he died with a, look, with a glowing look on his face as he looked up to Jesus. The Bible says the only time the Bible says Jesus stood up from the right hand of God and looked at James. And the persecution began. And it forced the Christians out of Jerusalem. And while the, the designers of persecution thought they were trying to end this uh, Christian way, uh, they in fact... Uh, were the very cause of uh, causing the cause of Christ to explode because these, these new Christians took their testimony with them wherever they went, and they were scattered throughout all the land, but they took Jesus with them. And as they told what Jesus had done and who Jesus was, there was a, a, a great uh, attractiveness to it, and other men and women wanted the same thing, and, the, and they were converted, and they joined the church, we would say, and the Christian movement had begun, and James is writing this uh, little letter of instruction to those Jewish folks that have been scattered. And then I think, if among all things, the first line of his letter would be quite shocking. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials, that's a biblical word for trouble, because the testing of your faith will develop perseverance. Because God will, as you have faith in Him, God will cause you to, to, to be able to persevere. God will strengthen you. God will make you. God will establish you. God will grow you into being the person you, He would have you to be so that you can stand other tests that come along. No warm greeting here. No... Uh, no uh, 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 fluffy accolades from James to his writers. He gets right to the point. These Christians he was writing to, they, they were poor and they were scattered and they were in trouble. And wherever they went, they found opposition to their faith. Isn't it amazing that James says, consider it pure joy when that happens? Because you're living so right for God that the world will hate you, as Jesus said it would happen. But God has not forgotten you. God will bless you and God will strengthen you. And in these first 12 verses, James says an amazing fact. God blesses His people in spite of what's happening in their lives. Say, so that's a message the church needs to hear today. God blesses His people in spite of what's going on. God blesses His people in spite of, of the things that are happening and the attacks they might be receiving and the difficult times. God is still at work to bless His people. Amen. We sometimes associate a blessed life with a, with a life of, uh, in which everything is going well. 
If we have more money than our bills uh, require, we consider ourselves blessed. If we, if we enjoy a time of peace and prosperity, we consider ourselves blessed. If everybody in our family is healthy, we consider ourselves blessed. If things are going well on the job or at school, we consider ourselves blessed. But James says the same God that blesses his people in those good times is continuing to bless those people in times that are not so good. And in fact, James said, don't rebel against the process. Believe in God. Don't, don't rebel against what's happening to you. Trust God. Don't, don't seek to get mad and get angry and be upset with everybody around you. Trust God because God is at work doing some amazing things. He is building your faith and building you and building perseverance in you so that you may be able to, to, to find maturity and be complete, not lacking anything. And then verse 5 is a very famous verse of Scripture. If any of you lack, lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. And I don't know about you, but I pray that most days. Lord, give me your wisdom today. Help me to make the right decisions. Help me, to, help me to be able to respond in the right way when I don't even know what the issues are. Give me your wisdom. Every one of us ought to be praying for that, that we would have the wisdom of God. And James says, God gives it freely to everyone without certain pedigree, without certain accolades or certain status of life. God gives generously to all of us. If any of you act, lacks wisdom in the midst of being persecuted, these new Christians, in the midst of having all kinds of things happen to you that you don't understand, consider it pure joy when they happen to you and ask God for wisdom in how you live and how you respond. Pretty good advice for anyone today. And then he talks about believing God and not doubting and not being blown around and tossed around by the wind. And then he talks about a brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in a high position. He reminds us that God is no respecter of persons, that God is not impressed by the things society is impressed with in relation to all of us, that, that, that a person who depends upon God is, uh, is in a great, great position of life. He has a warning for those who are rich. And by the way, rich is usually simply this, a person that has more than I do. I'm amazed in our world today when I hear people talk about rich people. If you got more than I have, I consider you rich. <laughs> so in some ways, somebody's considering all of us to be rich probably. James has a warning to them. The warning is that their strength for living and their, and their future is not held up in their pride, in their what they have, in their, their monetary setting, but once again, they need to trust in God. And then James says in verse 12, a really interesting verse. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive a crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. He's writing to a group of people that have forsaken the way of their, the religious training of their youth. He's writing to people that have, that have uh, in the context of, of observing the law in Jewish way of religion, he's, he's writing to people that have given up all of that to accept Christ as their Savior and Lord in life. Knowing or without knowing that they would not be honored in their society for that. In fact, their decision to go with Christ would cause just the opposite things to happen. They would have some trouble because they were serving Christ. Listen, folks, that has not changed. There are some areas of society that you and I deal with that it is a, it is a more difficult thing because we are trying to, to live right in a Christian life, in a Christian setting. 
And we try not to gossip and we try not to talk about the bosses and we try not to slander those we work with and go to school with and we try to be honest and we try to always deal with, with our situations of life as Christ would deal with. That makes life difficult sometimes because we're going against the grain and against the way. James writing to the 12 tribes of Israel that, are being, that have been scattered because of persecution, those that have given their very lives. In fact, the disciples themselves, the 11 disciples minus Judas, would die a martyr's death, uh, not a glamorous and glorious way. James says to all those involved in persecution, you are blessed if you persevere under trial because the man who has persevered and stood the test will receive a crown of life that God has promised to those who love God. Him. I want to remind you this morning, folks, God's keeping a good ledger of what's going on. God knows you. He knows your situation. He knows your problems. He knows your trials. He knows how you've served Him and honored Him and loved Him in spite of what's going on around. And God keeps good records. And while we might not find the relief that we want in this life, and while we might not find that life goes as just we would want it to go in this life, God is keeping good records, and there is a reward coming for everyone who stays faithful and perseveres even under trial. The Lord Jesus will give a crown of righteousness, as Paul said, a crown of righteousness to all those who have been faithful and all those who believe. Our hope is in Him. And mark my words this morning. Remember, this life as we know it is not all of it. In fact, it's only a tiny part of it all. God is Lord and God is supreme and there is nothing finer for a person to ever have experienced than to hear the words when this life is over, well done thou good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. James says blessed are those who persevere under trial because they will receive a reward from God, a crown, a victor's crown, not a kingly crown, a victor's crown for being faithful and true to him. Well, I find that, uh, that uh, James's words are especially irrelevant today because life is hard. We talk about that in the church a lot. Life is hard. Life doesn't go as smoothly as we think it is and, and should. I try to tell my girls when they reach adulthood, think of the perfect life you want, the kind of husband you want, the kind of house you want to live in, the kind of number of kids, dogs or whatever you want, cats in my family is what it was. Uh, think of the perfect job and the perfect situation. Get it all in your mind. Write it down if you want to. And then don't ever give it any other thought because life is probably not going to unveil itself that way. And even in the context of the church, we find that just because we surrender our lives to God, we receive His forgiveness. We, we let God order and direct our lives uh, we don't have all the blessings and trappings of, of, uh, that we would like to have. In fact, life has a lot of difficult situations in it. But James says, take heart. Don't be discouraged. Don't, don't let discourage take residence in your mind. Don't, don't give up. Don't get mad. Don't stay bitter. Oh, there's a lot of bitterness in the church today. We're an angry society in general. We're, we're mad at everybody. If you don't believe that, drive the highways of this city one week. <laughs> There's anger everywhere. There's bitterness in so many different settings. But James says to these people who have been persecuted because of their faith, don't give up. Count on God. He is building you. He is making you. He's keeping good record. And you're blessed even in the midst of great trial. Somebody here today needs to hear that. Somebody besides me needs to hear that today. 
We are blessed by God even when life does not go as we think it should. We are blessed in good times and bad times. We're blessed when it rains and when it doesn't rain. And we're blessed when it's 100 degrees outside and it ought to be 60 degrees outside. Amen. Everybody can say amen to that. We're blessed when life goes well and when it doesn't go well. God is a God of blessing. And James says to these people who are experiencing some terrible things, be encouraged. Ask God for wisdom to help you respond in the way you should respond. Be encouraged. You are a blessed people. And God is building you perseverance-wise. And God is building you strength-wise. And God is building your endurance. And God is going to make you into what you need to be to face the trials of tomorrow or next week or next year, or sometime in life. But in the midst of the life, stuff of life, realize you are being blessed by God. Well, I thought about that this week. I, I, I'm reminded of how we live in a world where everybody wants to be happy. I, I watched uh, advertisements on TV this week, a little TV I watched this week, and how many advertisements are based on that. You deserve, you deserve to, to drive this nice car. You deserve to, to have the, uh, the accolades of your peers if you'll wear this kind of clothes. If you'll brush your teeth with this kind of toothpaste, you know, it'll do m- m- miraculous things for you. When I was a teenager, uh, when I was a young teenager, it was a hair cream called Brill Cream. Anybody remember Brill Cream? Just a little dab will do you, the, the, the commercial said. And it showed guys with great hair and, and women everywhere and, you know, just uh, clinging at their, at their feet almost. And, and then a couple with that, a little bit later, was an aftershave called High Karate Aftershave. And it was called High Karate because you needed to have the, the skill of, of judo and all that goes along there to fight off the women that are going to come to you if you wear High Karate Aftershave. And we were probably 12 years old and Maybe 13, my best friend Randy Watson saved his allowance and bought a tube of Brill Cream hair deal and a little thing of high karate. And with great fear and trepidation, he, he thought about wearing it. We talked about that for weeks. And finally, one day, Randy decided to go all out. He would wear uh, high karate after he put high karate aftershave on and Brill Cream in his hair. He was not sure he was ready for the onslaught that happened. And he came to church Wednesday night to tell me about it, and nothing happened. <clears throat> And our first real glimpse of the fact that advertising is not always true. (laughs) But how we live in that world today where people want to be happy and people want to have joy. And the world says it's in the kind of clothes you wear or the kind of house you live in or the kind of car you drive or the size of your bank account or what your zip code is or, or, or what kind of shoes you wear. Or, yeah, I even saw one commercial this week that talked about how sun, the bright pair of sunglasses would change your life. We know, and James would say, real happiness and real joy is found only in Jesus. We used to sing a chorus when I was a little kid in church. If you want joy, real joy, wonderful joy, let Jesus come into your heart. Your sins he'll wash away. Your your night he'll turn today. Your life he'll make it over anew. If you want joy, real joy, wonderful joy, let Jesus come into your heart. And that is as scripturally true today as it was way back then. We, we, we live in a world that strives to be happy and, and have joy in the midst of problems. And we don't know how to, we don't know how to handle it when, when life is not all joyful and not all happiness and, and good times. James says, don't lose heart for the person who's made Jesus the center of their life. 
God is blessing you in the midst of it all. I want to remind you this morning that real joy comes from Jesus. He prayed that in the 17th chapter of John. Before he left this world, he prayed that God would give his followers joy, a joy the world doesn't know and a joy the world can't take away. And it is the joy of Jesus that can be the sustaining factor in helping us live properly in the midst of difficult times. Oh, we live in a world that wants to be happy and joy-filled. They're just mistaken as to where they get that. And then I'm reminded this morning that God, God sometimes, God sometimes does something greater than removing our troubles. <clears throat> God blesses us in the midst of it. I prayed so many years, God, take this away from me. Take this away from me. Why in the world am I having to do this? Why am I having to live through this? And why is this all happening? And I'm trying to follow you and do right. And I ask you to remove it and take it away from me. And a lot of times, in fact, most of the time, God never took it away from me as I thought. I often say, and you've heard me say before, I've found if I'm not careful in five minutes of praying, I spend 30 seconds telling God what the problem is and four and a half minutes telling him what he could do to solve it. But God has never taken my advice. And boy, I'm glad he is not. Sometimes God doesn't take away the problems, but, but he helps us in the midst of it all. And it is a greater miracle than for just God to remove the stumbling blocks. There's an old gospel song that says, God, sometimes God calms the storms, but sometimes God just calms me. Sometimes God takes away the problem, and, but sometimes God helps me persevere in the midst of it. Sometimes God does a far greater thing because He is building us. He is building me into the man He knows I need to be in times of trouble. And while I'm praying that God would remove me from this situation, we ought to be praying for the wisdom of God and how we can hold on and persevere. And we ought to be letting God do what He wants to do in our lives and realize in the midst of it all, God is blessing us no matter what is happening all around us. I saw this happen so often in various people. I became friends in high school with a boy who had a lot of trouble in his life. He, his, uh, his father had abandoned their family, mother, a brother and a sister. His father had abandoned them. I don't know that he ever saw his father much again past his childhood years. They had a tough time, mom trying to make ends meet. And one night their house caught on fire. And uh, he made it out alive he, his feet and legs were burned and his sister made it out alive and she was burned a little bit worse than him but standing in the front yard of his home he, he, he witnessed his mother and his little brother passing away because of the fire oh he was angry at God he was sent to live with his grandfather who lived in the same town and and a grandmother and and uh, they they went to church and they honored God but but there was a hard life and his grandfather owned a sawmill that's where they take trees and cut them up and make them into all kinds of things and his father his grandfather had a contract with the railroad to make cross ties eight foot long eight inches high eight inches wide I, I don't know how long a cross tie is heavy how about that and he made and because he, he he made new cross ties they were considered green cross ties in other words they still had the the liquid in them from from being a tree and they were extra heavy and he had to go work with his cousins and his father's sawmill after school most days and on the weekends and all summer long and every holiday they worked. And he, oh, he was so angry and he would get so frustrated with life and so mad at God that he would sometimes, the only relief he could find was running and he would run through the woods sometimes two and three hours one direction as fast as he could run. And he would come back and have to continue 
had to complete his share of the work with the cross ties. And usually he was so far behind that it got where he could pick up two of those cross ties at once. That's a pretty big task right there. It's a, a dried out one is, is tough to pick up, but he would carry two at a time not realizing what it was doing to him. And he would run, and he was so angry, and he was so bitter. And he got to high school and decided he would try it to, for football. And they gave him the ball, and no one could stop him because the muscles in his legs were so gigantic from picking up cross ties. And he had such a strength and endurance for running because he had ran in all that way that he became unstoppable. And he was, such a, he was such a strong player that he, he hurt his own players who got in his way. He would run over them, and he would run through them, and he didn't need to run around them. He just, he just plowed them down, and he became quite a sensation in Texas high school football a number of years ago. And, in fact, had offers to play uh, college football at some pretty big-time universities. He, he, but, but in the midst of all this, he realized God was with him. He would give up his football career to be a preacher. But, but I thought many times as I read about James, I thought about this guy. In the midst of his frustration, God was building his body and building him into something that, that would benefit him in life and be a ticket for him to get an education and all kinds of things. And God was building him in the midst of the frustration. What a great example to what James is trying to say. Oh, life is not easy. Being a Christian doesn't make it easier and sometimes makes it harder. But do you realize God is building you and I for the test ahead for the battle that is before us, for what we need to, to be able to live, to persevere in Him. Consider it pure joy when trials come. That's a verse of Scripture I've avoided much of my life in adult ministry. I didn't want to hear things like that. I didn't even like to read it. Consider it pure joy when trouble comes. But James says there's a benefit to it all. In times like these, we need a firm faith in God and a faith that is dependent upon our ability to stand and trust Him. God is building us, folks, and God is working through the stuff of life, and God does not cause, and God does not cause trouble to come into the lives of His children, but God does something greater than taking it away. God builds us in the midst of it all so that we can stand faithful to Him, even though we have no idea what or when or why things have happened. And we don't know, what, we don't know when, when it'll end and how we'll get out of it and how and all those things. James says, just hold on. Ask God for wisdom in the middle of all this. He gives freely to everybody that asks. While we do not celebrate trouble, we celebrate God, our God, in the midst of trouble. And while we do not pray for God to bring trouble to us because uh, we don't have to pray, it comes anyway, we, we, we must realize that God is blessing us even in the midst of great trouble. And James, of all the things he could say to these early Christians, the servant James, the humble James, says to them, listen, life's not going to be easy. You know that. You've already experienced it. Be happy. Consider it pure joy, he said when you face trials because then you'll be able to see that God is real and that God is there and that God will be able to build you into the person you need to be blessed is the man that perseveres under trial James word for us this day in our first look at the letter of James is just that we don't celebrate trouble 
but we celebrate God in the midst of it. We don't celebrate difficult times, but we celebrate a God who can do above and beyond and greater than we ask and expect. A God who gives us strength and faith and the ability to stand. And there's a purpose to it all. God's not trying to be mean. He's using the friction of life to mold us, to make our muscles strong, to make our spiritual faith so that it can endure. And he that perseveres to the end will receive a crown from God himself. I read again this incredible story uh, of a missionary, missionaries Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Back in the late 1950s, Jim had a passion for, uh, for a, a tribe of Indians in the, in the deep in the tropical forest uh, on the eastern side of, uh, of this country. They were called by a number of things. Aka Indians probably is the most well-known, and it really means savage. They were savages. They had been unevangelized, and Jim had a burden for them. And you know the story of how after, after language uh, testing and finding a few other uh, guys that would go along with him, uh, they got to pilot Nate Saint to begin to fly over the camp, and they, they would drop gifts into him. And Nate even came up with the idea that they would suspend a bucket down from this plane as it flew in a little circle, and a bucket full of good things. And they tried to establish some contact with, the, with, with these, uh, this Indian tribe. And finally, when they thought they had, uh, they had achieved a certain uh, 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 camaraderie with them, Jim and Nate Saint and three other guys landed on a strip of the beach intending to build a tree house for safety and tell them about Jesus. And four days after they got there, uh, two women and a man came out of the jungle and they spent the day with them. They gave them gifts. They fed. They, they, they said a few phrases that they could. The man even got in the airplane and, and, and went for a, a joy ride of sorts. Came back and landed. It was a great day. They believed God was there answering their prayers. A few days later, though two women came out of the jungle across the river and these men ran out into the river to see them and to greet them, not realizing that they were followed by a tribe of warriors who killed all five of the men with spears and left them in the river. And uh, a horrible tragedy. And Elizabeth Elliot, a young mother, an infant girl, and uh, the others were, were just shocked. It shocked the world. They finally, after not hearing from them, they finally sent another person in to fly over the area. And he saw the bodies. And the, they, they landed with armed guards. And they, uh, they buried the bodies. There's an interesting story that said that when Jim and his companions ran to meet the women in the river, that Jim had a gun in his pocket. And he saw the warriors coming. And he realized they were under attack. But Jim had decided, if my life is ever in danger... I will not shoot and take the life of one of these Indians who does not know about the message of Christ. And if he's not had the opportunity to receive Christ as a Savior, I'm not going to take his life. Let him kill me. And with a gun in his pocket still there, the savages did just that. Elizabeth Elliot thought her world was ending. But God was at work. And three years later, Elizabeth Elliot and three-year-old Valerie and the sister of Nate Saint decided they would go back and see if they could get permission and connect with these folks and get permission to live near their village and to learn their language and to develop a written scripture about Jesus. 
and to tell them about him in one of the most obedient, moving events they could ever do. They put their life on the line. And Elizabeth Elliot said to say, they look forward to the day when her husband's killers would join them in praise to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And she spent years there and, uh, and evangelizing them. And many of them came to receive Christ. A great tragedy. It should not have ever happened. Why did God didn't stop it? We don't know. But somehow Elizabeth realized that, that God was still there in the midst of all that. And God was still blessing. And the call was still great. They put herself on the line. And was able to lead the people that killed her husband to faith in Christ. And heaven will be richer. She would write a couple of books. Uh, one of them is, uh, uh, is, is entitled, I find my glasses. She wrote a couple of books. How about that? <laughs> she wrote a couple of books telling her story. And uh, in great, great, uh, great uh, uh, thankfulness to God for his protection. Life's not easy, folks. Nobody here needs to have that explained to them. But God is real in the midst of it all. And God has blessing and is blessing us in the midst of it all. And God said, pray for wisdom and how you should act and what you should do. But be faithful to me. I'm building you. I'm building perseverance and character and maturing you so that you will lack nothing, James says. And one day, there will be a crown of life given to you by God himself. We are blessed when we have stood the test and endured. And I hope that you find encouragement today in the scriptural lesson. And I hope that you find strength. And I hope that you find encouragement to stay true to God, who helps us every step of the way, who seeks to be alive in us, and who blesses us even when life is not going in a way that we think is blessed. God is there. He's with us. God is at work all the time. God is at work for our good and for His glory. God is blessing in the midst of the stuff of life. And God will be able to be the victor in all of that. And all of us ought to say, hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a Savior who is there with us to take us and lift us from, from the sins of our lives and to set us on the right path and to walk with us every step of the way and to help us and guide us along the way. Blessed are you when you persevere. For God is at work and keeping score and uh, will reward each one of us. And may uh, his holy word be blessed in our minds and hearts today and this week as we live for him. Amen. Amen. Let's stand this morning and we'll bow with uh, a word of prayer. And Derek's going to lead us in a chorus and we will be dismissed. But would you pray with me? Our Father, we do just that. We, uh, we bow our heads in prayer and marvel at a God who seeks to so direct our lives and so connect with us that even when we can't see you, we know you're there. And even when we can't understand you're working, we know you are. And we have faith that uh, you are helping us. And while we all wish we wouldn't face these things, uh, Lord, I'm sure I'm glad that I have a God who seeks to lead me through these things and give me wisdom and give me a sense of joy and give me a hope in a future in you. Strengthen us this morning. Encourage us. Help us as we live this week to not forget the words of James. May they be powerful in our minds. And we're thankful for your great goodness in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's sing.